are listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. Greg, he's a working man, working like a job every day. Brandon Jaggers. Gotta get up, go to work. And me, C.C. Broadus. Anyway, uh, third race seven, Phil Bauer is live, live, first time starter. The Auxiliary Gate, big problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 144 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. I'm CC Broadus, joined as always by Alan Schneider. Alan, how was your post derby hangover? Oh, uh, that's a, actually a good way to put it. Uh, I, I kind of was hungover on Sunday. We had a had a lot of fun, and uh, and we intentionally didn't do a, a, a pod last week because everybody does derby wrap up shows and stuff. You know, he gets d- down, drug through the dirt. But uh, I got to admit, the Sunday after derby, I was feeling a little rough. You know, and I don't think I drank that much. You know. But I'm older. I'm older, and I got to realize that stuff. It, it, the recovery time's a little bit longer, but we had a blast, and uh, and we we got to thank Michelle Lovell as always. She she to say that she hooked us up would be it would be an understatement. So free tickets, free everything, blah blah blah. She's the best, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, and look, good for her for uh, winning the first race on Oaks Day with Destine to race. That was a nice effort to uh, to kick off Derby weekend. So generous that she treated her all her, her whole barn to a, a barbecue, just all kinds of stuff, all her employees and stuff. She she hooked me up personally for my family and stuff. So, you know, it, it's uh, people get tired of hearing it. We don't give a rat's ass. She's the best. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, your thoughts, uh, real quick, on uh, Kentucky Derby winner Mage and and the, and the outcome of the race. I know we're. we're we're getting close to two weeks past the event, but uh, any, any any thoughts now that you've had time to sit down and think about it? Well, you know, it's funny because you and I were, you know, my family is on the front side. But you and I were on the back side with a few other people. And uh, so from our vantage point, you know, when you're back there, you don't know. what there's Unless you've got a team in front, you don't really don't know what's going on. And uh, when they ran by us, I knew Verifying and Reincarnate and who's the other it was we're going up we're busting up i didn't know how fast the fractions were and didn't know anything else was going on until they got close to the stretch and i knew there was a new, a new leader in like the last 200 yards and someone caught him i was hoping his angel of empire i, I couldn't tell and then they everybody around us told us it was mage so uh mage caught an incredibly game two fills um i think angel of empire was a solid third um yeah, I don't think not many of the horses did a whole lot of running. To be honest with you, it's kind of spread out field. A lot of horses actually didn't show up at all. Uh, Major, someone I was who I, I liked. I just was not going to play. I just, you can't play them all. I wasn't going to play them, uh, so I did not cash um, on that race. But uh, you can't take nothing away from Mage. I thought I actually did think that this Derby, and I've heard no one talk about this, kind of bore a striking resemblance to last year's Derby. Did it not? Have you ever thought about that? Do you do you see where I'm going with this? I think the the it, it it's like last year's Derby Field in, in, in the amount of talent. I just I think that this, there's a a lack of talent in the last two crops in my opinion. Well, 
Well, I can understand your point there, but follow me on this one. Where I haven't heard anybody say this. In last year's Derby, we had a very fast pace up front, right? This year, we had a very contested fast pace of 45 half. Those horses stopped. The first horse to make the move on the turn, I think the horse came up the inside, too, for the most part, was Two Fills. Two Fills made the first move on the turn last year. Epicenter made the, made the big move on the turn. Both horses took the lead, turned for home, right, and kind of opened up. And last year as well, Zandon and Felavian Pratt followed up a center into the stretch. Angel of Empire followed up a center in the stretch, was not quite good enough to pass him. Flavian Pratt and this and ran both, third both times. And then Epicenter got ran down last year by Rich Strike. And this year, two fills got ran down by Mage from far off the pace. It's the same race in a lot of regards. A lot of horses didn't run just like last year. I mean, if you look at the running lines and if you look at this in unbiased fashion, it was the same race for the most part. Do you follow me there now? Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. Flavian Pratt was third both times following the, the horse that took the lead into the turn, ended up third, couldn't pass that couldn't pass the second place horse. Second place horse looked like it might be gone after making the move on the turn. Both times they got run down by a horse coming from what, eighteenth? So I don't hear anybody talk. Of course the only thing I haven't heard anybody say that Major was a fluke, like they say Rich Strike was a fluke. Um the bottom line is both horses are derby winners and both horses ran extremely well. So that's that's my biggest take on that. I thought there was an incredible resemblance. Uh, to last year's Derby, uh, I thought Mage ran incredibly well in his fourth career start. And I thought a lot of horses didn't fire, to be honest with you. Uh, quite a few didn't fire. I thought the rides on the top three were just excellent. Yeah, excellent. They did a, a wonderful job. I mean, uh, Castellano to save ground going into mm-hmm. that first turn and, and just find, find opening after opening to, to get out to the outside and, and, to commence his rally at the top of the stretch. And then, uh, and Jared Loveberry, yeah. I mean, Jared Loveberry, that horse is up. Everybody else on the pace stopped. He was, I mean, he, he bid, he bid like a, like a champ, just, just got caught late. Huge effort. And I, I do think the sneaky efforts, Angel of Empire, no one's talking about it because he looked like he was just kind of running on, staying on, but he actually did surge a little bit late. I don't think you take anything away from his effort. I thought disarm <laughs> ran okay. I don't think a whole lot of other horses ran that well. Dermis Oligaki, okay, but I mean, there's some horses that really run badly. Flavian Pratt is becoming, uh, Mr. Derby in a way. He, he, I don't think he's ever delivered a poor ride in no, the Derby. You know, he'll get there. He'll get there. There's Country House, there's Zandon, there's, and again, put aside with where the horse finished. I get, I get tired of hearing all this. Put that aside. The, he put his horses in with the best chance to win every time. Yeah, he does. And, because of the fact he doesn't have the glory finishing the the, 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 the finishing first yet, kind of overshadows it. He's put his horses in position every time. He does have a, a victory right with Country House, but um, I mean he's your he is your superfecta key jockey every year now, right? I mean, quickly becoming a big race rider like a Chris McCarron. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Uh, Preak mistakes this coming Saturday that probably. One of, if not the worst preakness of uh, <laughs> my lifetime. I was just uh, a really bad field. Mage uh, is going to be somewhere in the vicinity of six to five, seven to five, and his main competition would be the Godolphin's first mission, the winner of the Lexington Stakes. And uh, yeah, I don't even know who else is in the race. Right, uh, Red Route One is in there, but I mean it's uh, Blazing Sevens, uh, Blazing Sevens, National Treasure. I, I've got, I've got twenty to one. Twenty-one to one on Blazing Sevens in the uh, in the Preakness Future Wager. I thought that was. I good. like your logic there. I've never been a big <clears throat> Blazing Sevens fan, but he's run admirably in the preps. 
and Chad Brown used this used this last year um, to skip the Derby and, and send a fresh horse to the Preakness. So and he won going away uh, in a very impressive effort. So why not this? So if you've got twenty to one on, that, I think that's a great bet. And with an eight horse field, I mean, uh, trying to think overlay. of worse Preakness fields. The, the last year's was better than this because she had epicenter. Yeah, early early voting turned out to be nothing. But the, you had the Kentucky Oaks winner, Secret Oath. That's correct. And Creative Minister, who was coming off an allowance win, I think, on Derby Day. I, if it was better, it was not much better than this group. You know, it's funny, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, the Preakness is never a huge deal to me. I mean, of course, I'll watch it. I have interest. I'll play a couple of the undercard races. I'm not a Maryland racing guy. But it did dawn on me. I've actually had the last two Preakness winners, and I didn't even realize that Ron Bauer won two years ago, right, and early voting last year, right? I doubt I'm going to make it three in a row this year. I don't know. Blazing sevens, maybe. I don't know. I don't have a huge huge amount of interest. I know you have a future wager. Who do you think wins the race, Brad Cox? I'm all in on first mission. If I can find a way to get a pick five alive to first mission, I'll be happy. Well, let me ask you this. Is there the, uh, I'm assuming they have a black guy, Susan Preakness double, right? I was assuming. Right. So if you like that, – because that black guy, Susan, now that, that is a good race. There's the fives is in there. Uh, the Brad Cox Merlaza, who I don't think has been extremely flashy just yet, but you know his world talent can really break through in a third, a third, fourth career start, whichever one it is. Uh, Hoosier Philly's there. That race has some interest. Some Hoosier interest. Philly interests me a little bit. I don't necessarily like her on form, but Amos kind of insists that she belongs in these big races. They 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 couldn't get into the Oaks from the AE list, so now they're going to try nine furlongs again uh, in the Black Eyed Susan. I, I to me, I think she's more of a one mile, like an acorn type of filly. But I mean, can she can she possibly do this? Yeah, we know you're just talking about you know uh, you, you want to get alive to first mission. I mean, there, there's worse things you could do is maybe you know cold double who's your filly to first mission if you think so. I mean, do I think she's going to win? Probably not. But you know, nine to one, and if you like a horse in in in, in the previous, why not? I mean, I could see maybe doing the same thing with Merlaza, Merlaza to the horse you like, but. Uh, yeah, could she do it? Sure. I mean, the horse had time off. You know, there's a lot of fresh horses coming into this race, so. I think that's an interesting, and of course she comes out of those fairground races, which produced the Oaks winner, pretty mm-hmm. mischief. So. That is true. So we know, we know the, 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 the Louisiana horses are live. The horse regains her form at all. I mean, the company lines say that she's good, and I don't know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, a few more questions for you. But what about uh, spacing, triple crown race spacing? You got any opinion oh on that? My opinion on triple crown spacing is I wish people would quit talking about this triple crown spacing. It's every year it's the same shit. You can predict when they're going to talk about it. When there, it, it, you can just on a Monday or Tuesday when there's nothing going on, people just go on and on and on about. It. I don't have an opinion. I mean, I used to think. I, I'm, I'm at this point in my life. There's like a lot more important things going on in the world right now than than whether they delay a horse race a week or so. I I just don't, I don't care that much anymore. Uh, if you have, if someone has a strong opinion, either way, I'll listen to them. I respect their opinions. But I, I just don't care anymore. Um, you know, is there's make, make a case for tradition. If there's a, if it's on the, on the side of horse safety, if there's, if there's a dis- distinct argument, uh, a position on the argument for horse safety. I'm all for that because at the end of the day, it's about the safety of the horses and, and the jockeys. And we're learning that a lot of late if, if we didn't already know. So, but overall, do I, am I going to stake my claim in the ground one way or the other? No. How about you? 
I didn't the first triple crown win that was Sir Barton. Didn't they run it in a different order or something different? Like I do it believe like, it has run in different orders from time to time. We've yeah. just got so accustomed to this, you know, the pre-TV era. Nobody was alive back then. See, I, I think uh, there, there's precedent for change. I, I mean, if they wanted, I would still want it in a tight window. I would. I think if you wanted to maybe course. put the Preakness on Memorial Day weekend, I think that'd be kind of cool. But yeah. I'll tell you something to keep in mind that nobody, I don't even brings up, uh, is the fact that, you know, TV dictates things and horse racing has, does not have the power uh, to dictate when they're going to be on TV versus NASCAR or hockey or baseball or the NBA, yada, yada, yada. So yeah, if, if the networks say this is when you're doing it, this is when they're going to do it. So I think that is, that is a, uh, something to keep in mind. Now, if, if they could work out a slot, you know, fine, you know, but I do think that you have to keep that in mind. All right. Well, I'm depressed now. So <laughs> I may be wrong about that. I don't know. I just, uh, what do you think about, uh, the paddock, the new paddock at Churchill Downs? Cause I mean, they, they've had a pretty good meet so far and I've really enjoyed it so far, but, uh, you talking about the new, new paddock or the paddock? Yeah, the new the temporary paddock on the turn. Yes. I haven't been out there to see that yet. I, but. Yeah. I, I, I haven't been out there. I don't know yet. Uh, if, can you see the horses? From, I don't. It, they, it just looks different on TV and stuff. I'd say it's a bit of a walk for people, but yeah, know, it, we're gonna have to go and set in that new edition over on the first turn. I've seen people set there, so that might be a. Oh, yeah, I'll give that. Something. I'll give that a try. But I hadn't been out there except for Derby Day yet. Maybe I'll, they're racing Friday night, by the way, not Saturday night. They're racing Friday night. They're having Preakness Day on Saturday, so I may go to one of those two. We'll see. Check it out. All right, so we've got a cool guest this yes. season. Very much so. Yeah, and been looking forward to talking to him. And we're going to take a short break and come right back. Policy option responding to the challenge of Verstappen. And farther back is Cool Rags. Policy option. Verstappen is relentless to the outside. Here's Verstappen. Red Bull gives you wings. Hey, yeah, thanks, Cece. Um, it's, and I'm sure you'd agree with this. It's always fun to have track announcers on the podcast, right? Because at the end of the day, they are the voice of the sport. And one guy we've wanted to have on since uh, he created buzz around these parts here in the bluegrass with his fill and roll at Turfway Park this winter is uh, announcer Tony Kalo. Tony is a longtime announcer at Finger Lakes Racetrack in upstate New York. I have never been there. I'd like to go one day. And after calling today's card up there on a, on a random Tuesday in May, uh, he's kind enough to join us this evening. And calling from, I'm guessing, somewhere outside Rochester is Tony Kalo. Uh, how are you doing there, buddy? I'm doing all right. Thank you guys very much for having me on. Well, uh, you know, we appreciate you being on, for one thing. Uh, I, I just mentioned you raced today, and you called the races. Eight races, I'm presuming. Is that right? Yep, eight races. I also provide a little in-depth analysis after the post-parade. So uh, I'm working on some tea and honey right now, trying to get the, get this voice in order. You know, I hear Jason Beam talking about that all the time. I think we have a tendency to uh, – uh, just like with singers, you you got to take care of your voice. I mean, that's your bread and butter. That's that's what pays the bills, right? Yeah, I, I'm not the greatest at sometimes taking care of it. I take it for granted because I've I've been blessed uh, with this with this pretty cool voice. Uh, and um, but tea and honey and uh, Ricolos, uh, the Ricolas, uh, throat lozenges, those uh, those work good. I heard Travis Stone endorsing them before the Kentucky Derby, and I'm right on par with them on them. They're they're the best by far. I have to keep that in mind. We take we you know as casual race fans or whatever, we kind of take that for granted. But uh, you keep keep that instrument uh, keep that instrument working really nicely, okay? Right um, on, bro. 
So before we get rolling, one thing, doing a little bit of research, you know, we all the amount of hours and hours of research CC and I put uh, into this, <laughs> which equates about seven minutes. Um, <laughs> I have to mention that one of the things I noticed right away is, and I didn't know this, is that you were actually born in Liverpool, England, before coming to the States as a kid. And with this in mind, and I found this amazing, would you say that you are probably the most famous person ever to come out of Liverpool? By no means. Uh, the Beatles. Uh, all the guys. So you're fifth? You're fifth then? Uh, I, don't, I highly doubt that. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, my father met my mother while he was serving over there in England, and I was I was born in Liverpool, England, and I was raised in Livermore, California. I can really hear the English accent in your voice, Tony. I know. It's, 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 you sound just like Paul McCartney. Um I always kid around that if I had my mother's Liverpudlian accent, I could have been a superstar already by now. You know what? That's right. It, it, the, it's called Liverpudlian there, isn't it? Liverpudlian. That is, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> and uh, did, was your mom a Beatles fan? Your dad a Beatles fan? I'm, I guess yeah, everybody you was. Know, uh, you know, here's a pretty cool little story. Uh, my mom dated the original drummer from the Beatles. I believe that was Pete Best uh, before Are Ringo Starr replaced him. What? Him. The fifth yeah. Beatle? Yeah. Wow. I mean, how my mom used to my mom used to in her early years used to go to the cavern. That's the famous club where the Beatles uh, started out at. And my mom knew them and everything. Pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Did uh, did Pete Best get any money or because those who don't know, Pete Best was, quote unquote, the fifth Beatle. And he he had to go to the wayside that when they become, you know, the, the. hit foursome or whatever, but did he, did he cash any royalty checks or did he you just, know, I, I really don't know a lot about that. I just know mom used to brag about, Oh yeah, I used to watch them in the cavern. I, I knew them. In fact, I, I, I've been out with Pete several times. Well, who's Pete best? I, who's, and, well, Pete was the original drummer before Ringo. All right, mom. Okay. Sounds good. But uh, yep. Liverpool, England. Unbelievable. Uh, here's another a, little side tidbit. I say, I share the same birthday with Trevor Denman also. Well, you're de- there's a lot of destiny involved there, isn't there, right? That's what I think. That's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> That's impressive. You know, when we first got the idea to have you on, Tony, it was a couple months ago or whatever, and it was mainly with the idea of talking about your stint at Turfway, because, again, this is the Kentucky Horse Racing uh, sure. podcast. People know I get sick. People get sick and tired of me talking about my love for Turfway. I don't care. Uh, but as as two guys and Cece and myself who love the charm and the wonder of the smaller tracks – you know, CC loves Ellis Park, right? Uh, I've kind of morphed into that because the more I look at Finger Lakes Race Court, the more I'm Finger Lakes Race Course, the more I'm fascinated by it. And I'd like to focus on that a little bit. Um, what do you think of Finger Lakes? Is it, is it a bit of a gem up there in upstate New York that people have a tendency to just kind of overlook sometimes? Without a doubt, I, I think I think it's a little hidden gem. It's in a it's in a very beautiful part of the country. Winters are a little rough. I'm not going to try to boast and try to tell anybody, boy, you gotta you gotta spend a winter here outside of Rochester because I don't know how <laughs> growing up in Northern California. I guess there's the key. I grew up in Northern California, which has four seasons. Southern Cal, they're a little bit spoiled with their sun. So I guess if there was a California kid who could make the adjustment of wintering in rochester new york it was me but um the summer the falls the springs they're very nice we've got the finger lakes um there's lots and lots of great golfing obviously the pga championships there is here this weekend so it's 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 a hidden little gem no question about it yeah and and i knew it was i know where it's sad i didn't know the exact city and that's on me for i mean i'm supposed to know some of these things i host a very famous podcast of uh, that sarcasm 
Um, but it, it sits in Farmington, New York. I didn't know the actual city in the western part of the state, right, going towards Rochester, going towards Buffalo, I presume. Yeah. And what I didn't know is that last year it celebrated its 60th anniversary. And in fairness, that's a heck of a milestone for a track of its size to be around for 60 years in, in this day and age. I'm guessing the community up there kind of embraces uh, that racetrack. Is that fair to say? Yeah, without a doubt. You know, unfortunately, this day and age with the smaller tiered racetracks, we've had to go to a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday schedule. So we're, we're not quite getting the embracement of, of yes of, of the times like yesteryear. Thankfully, the holidays last year, Memorial Day coming up, Fourth of July, et cetera, they they were slam packed. The place was just crowded. And but I, I talked to a lot of the regulars, a lot of the old timers, some of the some of the guys my age that grew up coming to the races when they were teenagers and. Uh, Totally. They, they embraced it. There's a, there's actually a, there's a, there's a print in the elevator of funny side winning the Wadsworth and you can tell there must've been 12 or 15,000 people on track. Incredible. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. Cause a lot of people don't know that this small track that's been there for 60 years in upstate New York uh, has the distinction, which a lot of small tracks do not. They actually hosted a Kentucky Derby winner. I think a lot of us forget that it's funny side raced at Finger Lakes and won after he won the Kentucky Derby, correct? Yeah, I believe it was actually his final start of his career, if my memory is correct. I, I've looked up the chart a bunch of times, and like I said, I get a kick out of it when I'm in the elevator. There's that there's that picture of Funny Side and just everybody with their hands high in the air, and you could just see the the level of enthusiasm and pretty cool. Like you said, not very often you get a Kentucky Derby winner racing at your racetrack. I vaguely remember that in the CC. Maybe you backed me up. Was that a New York bread stakes by any chance? Or was that an open company stakes? Or do you remember? You know, that's a good question. We don't have that race anymore. I want to say it was an open. Um, I, I remember when I first got here in 08, the Wadsworth. I'm pretty sure that was one of our only open stakes races. But you can't quote me on that one. But if, if you had to put a gun to my head, that's what I'd say. And you t- you touched on this a moment ago because you smaller tracks, that's kind of stay the affairs we're in these days. The smaller tracks get stuck with the Mondays and the Tuesdays and the Wednesdays. And, and that is when you guys race, which I knew that. What I didn't realize until today, until there's the seven minutes of intensive research that I mentioned, <laughs> is how long the meet is. It's You guys start in late April and you kick it all the way until like the start of November. That's a good six, seven months. Uh, that's a hell of a stretch, isn't it? It used to be longer. You know, now we basically go till like the, you know, towards the tail, the last week of April, and we'll go right till the day before um, Thanksgiving. When I first got here, they were starting on April 15th, and we'd run till December 6th. 163 days we ran in 2008, my first year here. Wow, that that brings to mind a couple of questions. Just you know, as a as a as a casual fan of, of tracks such as that. You race that long. Does the horse population kind of stay the same? Do you get many shippers? I mean, is it just the same horse population runs, I guess, until they maybe venture their way down to Belmont or Aqueduct or, or Saratoga or something? Does the horse population stay the same? If, you know, back then it pretty much stayed the same. Even nowadays, it, we'll, we'll pretty much get the same customers, you know, week in and week out. Uh, obviously, with our better allowance races, you'll get the Naira shippers. You know, and we are strictly really, really heavy with the New York bread program. All of our stakes races are generated towards uh, New York bread. So with the bigger races, the allowance races, some of our stakes races, you'll get some Naira shippers and you might get a, another horse coming in for an allowance event accompanying a stakes competitor. 
you'll get some decent maiden horses that make their way here. Our maiden special weight purse is around thirty-two thousand, which isn't too, not too bad. bad for that's not bad. not bad for not bad for a smaller tier track. It's actually it's actually pretty good. So, but as far as like the you know the bread and butters, the the guys, the horses, and the the ones that make up the regular regular um, programs, they're they're pretty much the same customers from start to finish. You know, I don't pretend to be, and again, I'm a Kentucky guy, and, and I'm, everybody knows knows that's what I pay attention to. But I know a little bit about New York racing, and of course, I mean, I follow Saratoga. Um, but one thing about the Finger Lakes that everybody says to keep in mind when the Saratogas of the world opens, you'll get some guys that come down from Finger Lakes, right, and steal a couple of their pots, like the Chris Engelharts or the Charlton Baker, Charlton Baker race up there. Those guys you know, like that. Are- Char- Charlie used to race here. He, I don't even know if Charlie has a string of horses here anymore. I'm noticing that they're all showing up in. Um, and other trainers' names with many of his longtime clients. So Charlie Strictly might be Naira now, but, you know, we, we'll get a couple that win once in a while. There's yes. no question about it, and you'll get you'll get rewarded sometimes, too. Yeah, you always got to pay attention to that, and when Sarah Tokens up, you feel those $20,000 claiming races, maybe those 1XL New York Bread Allowance races, you never know when you're going to get one of them finger leg shipper to run their tail off and, and score a big pot for the for the guys back up back up north i'll so. try i'll try to be a little better on twitter this year throwing out a couple of live uh, finger lakes horses at saratoga well i tell you what we all would appreciate that right because I, if you don't know this or not but a few people will put a few dollars into saratoga and every little edge helps especially when they're about 27 to 1 right so we'd appreciate that <laughs> definitely <laughs> i tell you what i'm going to talk to you about turf wait a minute because again that's my bread and butter okay but before we do that i know my uh, compadre here has some questions maybe about your background, if that's okay. Sounds great. So you started out at Bay Meadows, is that correct? That is correct. I grew up in a town called Livermore, California, which is basically about 20, 25 miles east of Oakland and 45 miles east of San Francisco. Can you can you tell us any uh, old Bay Meadows stories? I got, a, I got a few good ones. So, you know, it all began, my father was a, my father loved horse racing. My father taught me how to read a racing form very reluctantly when I was 10 years of age, but I, I begged hard enough. And he finally said, all right, uh, let's, let's teach you how to read this. I loved math so much as a kid. So, and, and he'd take me to the races on the weekends. The first time I remember going to Bay Meadows was in 1970, was it 78? I believe. Yes. 1978. And I, I got to watch a horse called golden act win the uh, $100,000 like California juveniles, like the biggest two-year-old race, I believe at Bay Meadows. And, he was a chestnut like affirmed and my dad told me either him or the gray were, was going to win the race and I wasn't really into grays so I, I bet my two dollars on golden act and next thing you know he won and the rest is history I just fell in love with horse racing so much and saw some great horses race at uh Bay Meadows and Golden Gate Fields growing up John Henry I saw Skywalker Tanks Prospect in the El Camino Real my first El Camino I ever called charismatic was the runner up in that affair wow called lost in the fogs debut run at Golden Gate Fields the very first start I got a I got lucky that day one of our clockers Art Lobato told me that morning he's all hey this Greg Gilchrist horse is a runner and I'm like, yeah, I go, he's going to pay three bucks. He's all, I'm not talking about gambling. He's all, just in case if you want to try to come up with something cute in the call and gave a pretty good call for him. You know, here's Lost in the Fog. It's an impressive debut. Remember his name. And that was turned out to be a pretty good little call. And, but great track. Talk about, talk about the good old days. Uh, my father taking me to both Bay Meadows and Golden Gate Fields, 15, 20 plus thousand on the weekends, just packed watching. 
you know, Bill Shoemaker, Fernando Toro, lots of great jockeys, Lafitte Pinkai, you name them. I've seen them in, in Northern California. I think Bay Meadows met its demise because uh, I think the, the land was more valuable than the, than the business it was generating at the time. But did, in your opinion, did, did it, did it end too soon? How popular was it at, at the time in the in the late nineties? Well, you know, it, it was um, it was pretty popular, no question about it. Obviously, before simulcast wagering, they used to pack in the crowds, and, and obviously, you know, simulcast wagering was a necessity. It, it had to be, it had to be created, it had to go forward for horse racing to generate the money it could. But unfortunately, you know, it's the uh, what's you know, it's the um. The old saying, as far as like, it also hurt it. I, I'm, not, I'm not coming up with the cliche I wanted to find right there, but it hurt it a little. And and towards the tail end, I I I stopped calling. My last year at Bay Meadows was 05, and they still ran three more years. But I know some of the. I remember one of the gals that I worked with, uh, Linda Anderson. I believe she still is the paddock judge at Golden Gate Fields, and I think she was quoted in in the newspaper as saying. When there were so many people for closing days, she's all, where have you all been the last day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Reminds me of Arlington. Reminds me of Arlington a little bit. Yeah. Just such a shame. And, you know, you can see it happening throughout the country. And obviously, if some of the smaller racetracks, they'll probably have a similar fate. And they'll probably get everybody and their brother out there to be part of it as as it's as it's all over. And it's just a shame that that it had to. And like you said, so you see that um, the real estate was just far too valuable. And what are you going to do? It, it just it was very unfortunate. But talk about a beautiful place. It had a great little turf course. Um, the indoor paddock was incredible. And some people might find the smells repulsive, but degenerates like myself really enjoyed, <laughs> truly enjoyed walking in there to that indoor paddock. And nothing like it, nothing like it. And you're right there when the horses are leading their, on their way to the racetrack. It was what a great, what a great track! So you're, in my opinion, you're one of the one of the, the best at your craft. Uh, how did you, did you model your calls after anybody in, in particular? Or did you just develop your own style? Well, you know, growing up in Northern Cal, as I mentioned, um, there was there was a horse race announcer. His name was John Gibson. And he had a, a big, strong voice, and, and there they go, and I listened to him, and he was a Harry Henson disciple, and there were a couple other announcers during that time, but John was the one that I liked listening to the most. I thought his voice was incredible. I, I mean, his John Henry and Sylvieville call and the Golden Gate Handicap, that's one of, I just, I still get goosebumps to this day listening to it. So I, I modeled basically my calls at least the start of my calls after him but I was very fortunate in 92 that I wasn't doing too well in in college I was going to the University of Chico State Chico Chico California is where Aaron Rodgers is from he went to Chico High yeah Chico State we were the number one party school by Playboy uh, and um, Unfortunately, when I got there, I continued that reputation for the school. But um, I hear you, player. All right. Yeah, you know, so then 92 comes around and I've been in college for way too many years. And I'm like, I've got to get out of Chico and figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And that's when it dawned on me that, hey, I could be a horse race announcer. I, I had been following horse racing since I was 10. 
I was taking a bunch of communication courses at Chico and I was the PA announcer for one year for their baseball team. And I'm like, I can do this. And my friends were encouraging me. So I decided to leave Chico and I wrote a letter and Michael Rona answered it. Wow. wow. And and he took, Michael Rona took, took me under his wing in 1992. He answered the letter and I would go out there about once a week and I would call into a tape recorder and we would play it back to the replay with no audio on his end, but listening to my audio. And I did that for many years. Uh, when Michael got relieved of his duties at, at Bay Meadows, Paul Allen replaced him. Paul Allen's now the uh, play-by-play announcer for the Minnesota Vikings. And he also is the race caller at Canterbury Park. So I, I was very fortunate that I had a, a couple of really, really talented people help mold me into becoming the race caller I am. Michael taught me a lot of fundamentals, A to B, da, da, da. Paul Allen kind of gave me the confidence to incorporate a little bit of flash into it, and hopefully it's uh, working out. Yeah, I always thought you kind of reminded me of uh, of a modern-day Gary Henson. You remember at Long Acres? Well, you know, it's funny you say Gary Henson because uh, – John Gibson was a disciple of Harry Henson. Harry was Gary's father. So, yeah. Oh, Dixon, strong. <laughs> I didn't know that. You said Harry Henson was Gary Henson's father. I didn't know that. That's Yeah. yeah that's I, pretty neat. Yeah. And uh, John Gibson was a disciple of, of, of Harry. He learned under Harry. and and But, yeah, Gary Henson. I, You know, what's funny is when Long Acres closed and Emerald opened up, I was in my very early stages of being and trying to become an announcer. And I had met somebody, I believe his name was Ben Cambra, and he was going to be the man in charge of picking the announcer. And, oh, I was so excited. I thought I'd be a perfect fit for that part of the country. And they hired Robert Geller, and obviously they made a very good call with him. But that's funny how you brought up Gary Henson. So – I th- before we change subjects, I was, I was going to yeah. say that another announcer you remind me of. You may you may not be as familiar with this voice, but it kind of reminds me of Kaywood Leopard in a way. Just uh, uh, yeah, it, I can see it. Does that name ring a bell? Any, it does. It, it does not, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Oh. He was a uh, he was the main. He was basically the voice of uh, Kentucky basketball and football. Okay, uh, many like years, fifty ago. years. And he, he would call, I guess he would call the Derby for the, uh, for WHS radio. Uh, he was the track announcer for, for the local, uh, Louisville radio station. Oh, cool. Look it up. You do sound like him a little bit. You're right. Steve. Yeah. That's, I, good, that's I, a good call. I, you know, like, yeah. Just, yeah I'll definitely I, I guess I'll have, it's to go, I'll have to go look him up. That, that'd be pretty cool to hear his voice. You know, I also got very lucky. Luke, Luke Kripos, so obviously there's a name Kentuckians will know very well. I mean, Luke, oh, yeah. Luke was incredible. This is a pretty cool story, too, that you guys will like. So it's 19, what is it, 1996. I am calling the San Mateo County Fair at Bay Meadows. And all of a sudden, here comes here comes the big man, Luke Kripos, up my uh, stairs to the booth. <laughs> I knew who he was right away because obviously everybody who knew Luke was. And he was actually going to be um, working in the racing office at the uh, at the Sacramento Fair, the state fair. So he was in town. So he comes up to the booth and I'm all Luke. And he's like, hey, what's up, buddy? You know, we start talking and he's like, I've been listening to you for like three or four races. And he's like, you're, you're all right. You do all right, man. He's all not to brag or nothing, but I can really help your career. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. And he actually got me Arapahoe Park the next year. And really, we became very good friends thereafter. And what a what a great guy he was! I miss him every day. My first year here at, at Finger Lakes, unfortunately, was the year he passed away. 
I, I had had dinner with him the night before I was to drive to New York. That was like in middle of early April. And then unfortunately that was just, I couldn't believe it. I got a phone call from a couple people and they were telling, and I couldn't believe it. And I miss him all the time. What a great guy. My best, uh, my best Luke story was, uh, he, he would call the Derby and then on the Sunday when all the, basically all the tracks, local tracks were closed, he would drive up to River Downs and, and bet River Downs. (laughs) <laughs> hey, Luke, Luke, Luke is a great story. I got a great story. So I, you know, Luke helped, Luke helped me out a lot, not even in the beginning, but even up until the end, like he had me help filling in for him at, at Turf Paradise in 2006 and 2007. And, and I, I believe it was the uh, winter of 2008. So he calls me up. He's like, Hey, Tony, what are you doing? I go, nothing. He's all, you want to call the races today? And I go, what? You all right? He's all, yeah, I'm just going to head over to Rio if you don't mind. I'm like, you got it, buddy. <laughs> we can tell this story now because he's not here. Yeah, of course. I remember the general manager, Eugene Joyce, was like, Tony, what's going on with Luke? I go, ah, he's just a little under the weather. He says he's got a little cold or something. And uh, That's a pretty cool story I thought you guys would like. Awesome, awesome. So how are your handicapping chops? Well, you know, I think they're decent at times. I'm always saying I'm a player i i was just in the nhc tournament this past weekend the freebie on horseplayers.com 2014 entrance i finished seventh wow uh, i lose the Gulfstream park race by a nose to the other sappy joseph and i chose not to use the chalk because i hate chalk in the last at belmont either of them happens and i finished third and i'm qualifying so i'm not bad oh wow Sickening. I'm still sick about it. I'm still talking about it. I had uh, the Brooklyn Cowboy on Sunday night, like a few hours talking with him. He's like, all right, Tony, enough of that. Enough of the conversation. My other buddy, my my girlfriend doesn't even want to hear it anymore. She's like, look, that was Sunday. I'm sick of this already. (laughs) You know, um, but I do some handicapping at Finger Lakes, like I said. Unfortunately, I really try to beat a lot of chalk, and right now we're having such abbreviated distances. I mean, we finally ran a two-turn race today, and I don't think my handicapping uh, – here's um, – I've hit some good ones. I hit a, I hit, I've, hit, I've hit one for 30000 I've hit a bunch for six or $17,000. Um, Unfortunately, I, I bet Mage in the Fountain of the Youth in the Florida Derby, and I only had a, a couple bucks on him from the. I, I had a couple. I had a four dollar double for the Derby to the Oaks, and I had that fifty cent uh, Oaks Forest or the Turf Classic pick three. But I needed Angel of Empire. I got that uh, last second bet about a minute or so before the Oaks. I was able to put that in. You know, I was on Mage Fountain of the Youth, the Florida Derby, and I kind of. Gave up on him. Unfortunately, I'm going to blame it all on Hofberg because when Hofberg didn't run as well as I anticipated in the Derby, and then I came back with soup and sandwich a couple of years later, I oh. said, all right, you've got to get off these N2Ls and N3Ls in the Kentucky Derby. And what do you know? Two N2Ls in a row, Red Strike <laughs> and now Mage. Well, got a little chump change with Mage uh, in the Derby, but needed Angel of Empire, had, had the pick five going to him and would have uh, – scratched into five out of six in the two day pick six six times. So that would have that would have been all right. Ouch. I was so, high Angel of Empire too, so I feel your pain. Yeah. For, for rookies uh uh or, or newbies to horse racing, N two L means non winners of two lifetime. There you go. Beautiful. Yeah. So uh I, Alan, I think we need to uh we'll we'll save this for the end, but we probably need to to get his thoughts on the preakness, but I'm gonna turn it back over to you. 
That's a good idea. Uh, not to turn over to me, just about the preakness or whatever. Uh, that's not arrogant on my behalf. <laughs> um, you know, as we st- as we stated earlier, again, you filled in at Turfway this past winter. I believe uh, Jimmy, the, the track announcer, had a little medical issue. I think it's something in his neck or whatever. So they need somebody to fill in. They called you, and lo and behold, I, I got to be honest with you, um, Tony, you, you create a bit of a buzz down here with uh, – with your interlude in the Florence, uh, you were very warmly received. I can say Cece and I both enjoyed it quite a bit. We liked it, and I know we're not alone. Uh, we we kind of have our pulse down here on, on things down here. So you're, you're very popular is what I'm getting at. Uh, uh, with, the, with the vibe down here is that you were a hit. Uh, how did that come about? How did you manage to work your way down to Florence for that? Well, I got a little heads up that, that Jimmy Mack was going to be maybe needing some time off. I thought it was going to happen um, – after the holidays, in fact, that's what I was led to believe. But all of a sudden, I got a phone call, and, and Chip's like, "Hey, Tony, I, I guess Jimmy's having surgery quicker than we thought. Uh, can you get here?" And he wanted me to get there the Sunday of that, the Sunday um, before I showed up. And I'm like, "I go, Chip. I go. That's that's short, short, short notice. Uh, I can be there Wednesday." And then he called me up. Uh, the Friday beforehand and he's all right, you know what plan on getting here Wednesday. And and that's, it just kind of happened very quickly to be honest. And did you have as much fun as we did uh, hearing you call the races? You know, when, when the, when, when the stint was over, uh, that's when I let the fun begin. It was, um, it was very testing. I have to admit it was like 12 horse maiden races and, and um, I, I enjoyed it very much. I mean, what a, what a great, what a great meet turf we had. And then those, those, Two weeks, those five days I was there, four, four or five days I was there. It seemed like I called a lot of real nice horses, some real good made and special weights, a lot of, lot of good horses and huge fields. And, um, yeah, I was, um, at the end of the night, I was having a lot of fun. I was really proud of myself. I, I don't think it was anywhere near my best work, to be honest. I made more mistakes, I, I felt, than I have in quite some time. But it, it wasn't the easiest um, assignment, that's for sure. You know, you're going into a new part of the country. And I only knew maybe four or five horses the entire five days that I was there. You know, I knew a few horses in the stakes race in the Prairie Bayou. I I, I obviously knew Visiton. Visiton's been one of my favorite horses. You know, me and Billy Morey know each other from back in Northern California. Right. And so I've always been talking to him about Visiton. And there were a couple others. But for the most part, every horse was a horse I had never heard of before. Um, I didn't know any of the silks. That was challenging, and uh, like I said, I don't think by any means it was near my best work, but um, when it was all said and done, I was able to carry my head up high, and I was proud that I was able to go in there and and do the job I did. We thought she did a great job, and you you talked about some of the challenges. Some of the challenges that that come to my mind, of course, I'm not a race caller, but some of the natural challenges I think someone having to be put in that spot would come up with is – it's a new it's a new booth, right? And if I'm not mistaken, one of my announcer buddies told me that that first turn's a little hard to see with the way it's set up out there. Um, there's big, the, as you mentioned the big fields, and you, you couple that with oh yeah, I mean you're, you're racing at night on top too. Because I mean I'm sure you're accustomed to calling races during the day. Uh, was all those things a, a tough to adapt to, like the things you just mentioned? <laughs> without a doubt, without a doubt. You know there 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 were there were tough sight lines in the first and second turn nighttime racing um also you know it's a it's a newer facility and 
the booth is, is, is a little bit on the lower, lower side. It's only on the second level, basically. And every announcer's booth I've ever worked at, I mean, I, I had a brief stint at Sam Houston for a weekend and they had a very second or third level, lower, lower level booth. It's it, the sight lines are hard when you, when you, when you're a little bit higher up there, you get a little bit more of a downward angle. So when the horses are abreast, you have an easier chance to see a jockey silk. I got fooled a couple of times at Turfway, and I knew there was a horse immediately to that outside. I couldn't see the silks, and it was just like, you know, granted, if I would have been there and I knew who every horse was, it, it would have been a lot easier. Okay, that's so-and-so. I know he's at the back of the pack. But when you're getting there for the first time and you're calling 12 horses and you don't know any of them, that was challenging. So, And the nighttime, I mean, I hadn't called nighttime racing since Friday's Alive at Bay Meadows, and that was back in 2005. And I mean, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm still, I'm not old, but I'm, I'm not, my eyes are, they're still pretty good, but, uh, nighttime created a little bit of, a little bit of problems for me, but. There was a, there was one night the fog was really bad. I don't think you called that night, but there was. I think, I think that was the night that I, I, I got to leave. You know, um, I was supposed to call the Thursday and Friday of the second week and then they got, uh, the Cincinnati area, Florence, Kentucky area got announced with the big storm was going to come in with the chills and everything. And then, Turfway canceled the Friday before Christmas, and I made a phone call to Chip on the on the Tuesday night if I could if I could dart out of town Thursday, so I, I wasn't stuck in a hotel for Christmas by myself. Well played, well played. Um, well, you know, a couple more questions, and then we'll let Cece do a little pregnant stuff with you. What's life like for Tony Kayla when Finger Likes isn't running? What do you do in the free time in January and February when they're not running? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I, I don't do a heck of a lot. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I guess I sit around and feel sorry for myself. I have, nobody's hired me to call races during the winter. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to change. Uh, I, I, I've been trying to get a voiceover career going again. I once upon a time, I used to do a lot of voiceovers uh, for the racetracks in, in California and did some outside stuff. So I've been trying to work on that a little bit more in years past. I, I used to, I had an ex-girlfriend that that was a trainer, so I was always uh, doing a lot of work with the horses during the winter, as far as uh, taking care of them and stuff. But yeah, this past winter, basically, um, you know, you try to stay warm and uh, try to get a few workouts in. My girlfriend lives in Pennsylvania, so um, I'm back and forth between her place and mine, and I'll stay over there at her place for some for for quite a bit. So uh, try to stay busy, but. Uh, you know, it's kind of when you when you call races for a long period of time and you get that day off and you know you don't have to be sharp or responsible for a while. It's it's not a bad feeling, but then after about a month off, you're chomping at the bit and you're like, gosh, when am I going back to work? <laughs> I get that. I, well, I've heard of, I've heard about people like that. I don't really usually feel that way at my job, but I've heard of people like yourself with that. Um, one last question. We'll get to the let CC take some freaking stuff here before we let you go. Uh, again, in the seven minutes of uh, incredible research I did on you. <laughs> you're, a, you're a Oakland, Los Angeles, Las Vegas Raiders fan, right? Is that correct? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm a Raiders fan. Yeah, obviously Oakland, pre, pre, you know, my preferred uh, city, but uh, I'm not going to abandon my team because they've abandoned their original city. So, well, let me ask you this in that regard, then, because you're from Liverpool, England. Yeah, you're a hop, skip, and a jump away from the kingdom of the Buffalo Bills land. And you're a Raiders fan. You can see that's a little bizarre, right? I guess it's from the California time, right? 
Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, like I said, I grew up in Northern California. My, my father had relocated us to there in the early 70s, and I, I lived in basically Northern Cal all my life. So I'm always going to be an, a, a Raiders fan, no question about it, which is pretty, pretty funny because uh, Mike Ziegler, who you guys probably know from Churchill Downs, Mike and I started together at, at Bay Meadows, and he he was Jack Lebow's assistant manager. And uh, it was funny because Jack used to call me in and him and Mike used to chuckle with me. And they're like, gosh, Tony, can we just get a little bit of the Raiders out of you and be a Niner fan? <laughs> be a Niner once in a while. You don't always have to act like a Raider all the time, Tony. And I'm like, Jack, you just don't you just don't understand. You know, the, it's being a Raiders fan is like horse racing. Once it's in your blood, it's very difficult to get it out of there. But oh, I have I, I have adopted the Bills as my second team. But I'm, if they were to play the Raiders that. in the playoffs, they, they, they I'd be rooting for the Raiders. I, I can understand that. But uh, um, Raiders fans in New York, I don't think there are that many, but I think it's pretty impressive. Uh, in fact, Mike Ziegler, Mike Ziegler used to give me a lot of ribbing is after when I ended up here at Finger Lakes or whatever, and he'd be like, hey, people would be like, wow, you know Tony Taylor? And he's like, yeah, I know Tony. We work together. He's a Raider fan first, then a horse race announcer. And I'm like, come <laughs> on, Mike, why, why do you got to be like that? Just because I asked for a couple Sunday afternoons off so I could go watch the Raiders when they got good again after my mother passed away. <laughs> uh, is Are the games as rough as they, they tell us about in the stands? It's, it looks kind of rough. That's what we hear when the well, games are being Oakland. Back in the day, they they uh they they were a little they were a little hectic, you know. I don't even remember the 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 good old days. My father had season tickets, and we used to go. Uh, and we we were in the the top. We were the, the the worst seat in the house. We were the the last row, way up in the nose bleeding section. But geez, uh, we loved it. But I, I bet those crowds must have been rough. But I, I know, like uh, when the Raiders got pretty good again under under Gruden's first watch and. And I know me and my friends, we were in the black hole and uh, it got a little rowdy there. But, you know, not to the point where, I mean, I've got some class to me. And if some other Raider fans give a lot of us bad names, um, I would welcome in. I would welcome in opposing fans, you know, opposing teams fans. I, I would try to make them feel comfortable. Well, I never would you want to make anybody not feel comfortable at a game like that. Give them a little ribbing, but all a little ribbing. Year, but. All right, CC. <laughs> Okay, Preakness 148 coming up on Saturday, and we were talking about this before you came on, Tony. That I, I think this is the worst Preakness field of my lifetime. I, it's funny you you mentioned Funny Side because I think I thought Funny Side's Preakness was a little bit on the light side too. I think it was his main competition was Peace Rules and Midway Road. Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah. Empire that, Maker that, didn't even run in the Preakness, did he? That right. year? No, he came back and won the Belmont though. Right. But, uh, so, with that said, uh, you know, Mage is, is going to be somewhere in the vicinity of eight to five. He's eight to five morning line. I think he could go lower than that. But, uh, you have any uh, preliminary thoughts on this year's Preakness? Well, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to look at any past performances. I, I will say this, and I was telling a friend over the weekend that it seems like the pace scenario is going to be, it's going to be soft, isn't it? I mean, where is the pace coming from in this race? First mission. And first Number mission. One. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what was that? Red Route 1. Red, Red Route 1. What, are they putting a second set of blinkers on them? <laughs> <laughs> but, no, uh, yeah, first mission without a doubt. So what I'm getting at is we're going to get Mage, who's going to be the favorite probably, and he's going to be, like you're saying, 8 to 5, possibly even lower. And I know he was prominent in his debut, but his last three races, he did not break. There, was, I saw a shot on Twitter, which was cool, from Cody Photography, of all the horses out of the starting gate. He was last. 
he got away with that sluggish start again. He was a half a length to a length behind everybody. If you can, if you can check out that, that shot, it was awesome by Cody photography. And it, what happens if that develops again and there's yeah. no pace and he's that far back, he's not going to get the pace to run after and coming back on two weeks rest. We owe it to ourselves to bet first mission at five to two, don't we? Mm, yeah. Fair point. Uh, fair point. Yeah. If we get five to two, if we can get five to two on him. Yeah, that's the horse I'm on. So I'm, I'm going to live and die with first mission for the most part. I mean, he ran a tremendous Lexington, right? I, that was an awesome race. And how many races has first mission had in his life? Is, was that his third career start? I think that's right. Think yeah, that's right. So his first race, he loses to Bishop's Bay, who is Brad's other nice horse who almost won the Peter Pan this weekend. Right. And so, and there's first mission almost beating Bishop's Bay in a six furlong race. Then he gets to stretch out and then he gets pretty much mugged by Irad, doesn't he? An, an Arabian night at the uh, eighth pole in the Lexington. <laughs> and he's got the time off. He's got the time off. He'll be and fresh. He, and he's got the time off. And, and we've seen it all, all these years that these horses that get, that don't run in the Preakness or don't run in the Derby, uh, they come back. Um, that's 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 who my top selection would be, no question about it. If if Mage wins, yeah, I'll I'm not going to be disappointed because I always like it when there's a shot for the triple crown. But I think at a short price and the, just the way that I always try to beat chalk and the pace scenario, I think we owe it to ourselves to go shopping for the new guy. And and I think that is first mission. And he draws a nice what outside post. He's in post eight out of everybody. He can overlook everything and. He showed a lot to me in the Lexington because sometimes it's not easy for big, strong horses to come up the inside. And, and it got a little tight quarters there when, when Arabian Night kind of came over him the way Irad likes to hurt. I'm pretty sure Irad was the jockey that day on Arabian Night. I'm not, but, um, so I, I was very impressed with his Lexington. He gets, he gets the added time off and I think he's been cut out to be a nice horse from day one. You've convinced me, uh, uh, Alan, do you have anything left, uh, to, to, uh, Convert. And you would have to think that because if Brad didn't think if Brad didn't think first mission was his horse, don't you think maybe Angel of Empire would be back in? So I oh yeah, is, oh yeah. This is, I think this is Brad, and Brad's loaded because he's you know like I said he's got Bishop's Bay who just ran big in the Peter Pan, and I could see that horse being a major player in the Woody Stevens. Why wouldn't they? You know he's not going to probably run that horse in the Belmont when he's got Angel of Empire waiting in the wings, or if first mission wins the Preakness. So there he's got his Woody Stevens horse, and like I said for this. If Brad wasn't high on this horse, he'd probably have Angel of Empire back in. Yeah, Brad does an amazing job with all those uh, wonderful horses he does. He he plots it out. He <laughs> he knows where to put them and stuff. And it, it's it's an art form to some extent. We had him on. We've asked him ab- about it and such. But uh, I'm with the first mission. I think fair odds is. I think five to two is probably fair odds if you could get three to one. Because maybe people pound the Derby winner. They do that in Baltimore. Sure. And so you may you may sneak up and get three to one, three point three to one, or something. So I, I think that would be pretty generous for us if we could get it. I I would take my chances with him at, at that price. And, if Red Route One doesn't get to the lead, I'm just, kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. With that bit of idiocy, I will let you. I will. Uh, we'll call this a wrap. We truly enjoyed it, Tony. We would love to see you uh, in the state of Kentucky more often, perhaps on a permanent basis if something were to came open. I know we're not alone in that regard. We really enjoyed your time at Turfway, 
it got me looking at a couple races up at Finger Lakes, I'll be honest with you. So uh, you're <laughs> right a selling on. point. You're a very talented man, and we'd love to see you down here in the Bluegrass a little more often. Okay? I, pre- I appreciate all the kind words. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. Very, I enjoyed this a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was fun. That was Tony. It certainly Caleb. was. Yeah, Gosh, Tony. Tony was awesome. Uh, even off off the record, he was uh, he was pretty cool to listen to. But I got to admit, the we we learn usually something out of every one of these podcasts we do. Uh, I have to admit that I had never heard of Chico State. <laughs> and I, Aaron Rodgers well, he was from there. I didn't know that either. No. Yeah, I I, I didn't know that existed. So yeah, I looked that up, and it's yeah. There is a real Chico State. I thought he was it was like a nickname or something. It's like for one of those schools out there, but I know Chico and the Man it was a show in the seventies with Freddie Prinze Senior and Jack Albertson. I know that, but that's about the extent of my knowledge with that stuff. So Chico Escuela from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Uh Garrett Morris, correct? Baseball been very, very good to me. <laughs> Who knew that this could would evolve, devolve into such Chico trivia? I did not know that. There's right. a Mexican restaurant in Louisville. So Mexican burgers when I was a kid called Chico's. It may still be around. I don't know. But uh, we're getting off the topic. Uh, I'm glad we got in touch with Tony. Uh, extremely funny guy. Extremely outgoing. Uh, extremely talented caller. Likes to play the horses. Knows this stuff. And is destined to have a job at a bigger track. Although, I mean, Finger Lakes is lucky to have him, wouldn't you say? But um, I, I think that'd be cool to be able to call a track like that. Yeah, I agree. But you know, I mean, he's called, he's called much many more tracks we gave him credit for. He mentioned Turf Paradise and some others, Arapahoe. Yeah. Uh, he's, he mentioned several, but you know, maybe there's, there's got to be a bigger job waiting for him someday. Yeah. You know, but so, uh, I got to admit that uh, th- that is probably. Track announcers are probably what got me into the sport when I was younger, like Dave Johnson mm-hmm. and Tom Durkin. That's and Mike Battaglia. That's the three that I knew initially, and I, I always held all three of those in high regard. Probably Tom Durkin, the best of all of them, of all you know, of all time. I will uh, mention the fact that you know, ironically, Jason Beam, who is an announcer we've had on the show, uh, his he he interviewed Dave Johnson a couple months ago. At 81 years old, and if you haven't listened to that, I recommend listening. That was one of Jason's best episodes. Dave Johnson was great, sharp as attack. At 81 years old, still sounded as as on point as he did in his in his 30s. Uh, if if you haven't listened, to, catch the Dave Johnson episode uh, with Jason B. We've had Jason on, we've had uh, we've had Bill Downs on, and we've had uh, well now we've just had Tony Kalo. We there's a couple more we need to maybe knock down, don't you think? One, One more, more. We'll, have a, we'll have a Mount Rushmore. That's true. Dooley's, Dooley's on the Dooley's out there. Travis Stone's out there. There's a few others that we could maybe maybe look to get or whatever, but uh, we'll, we'll try to get a few more on here. Okay, so uh, before we wrap up, you, you did say earlier, night racing this Friday, Friday. Churchill. Yeah, I think Michelle's got one who might be live in the last race that we got a chance or whatever in it. But it, I, I look, I glance, it's a pretty good card. It's a pretty good card, I think they got. But we'll see if I can. Again, you know, me staying awake that late is a different story. But maybe, I, maybe I'll get out there Friday. We'll see. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I have nothing else to add. Uh, Tony added enough for us. Tony was wonderful guest. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Okay. So, on behalf of our guest, Tony Kalo, and, of course, Brandon Jaggers, who's absent once again. But. And, of course, Alan Schneider. I'm CC Broadus. Reminding you, in the immortal words of Jerry Romans, we're not happy until you're not happy. 
<laughs> I love that. Good night. <laughs>